0: Hello, friends, and welcome to episode one one seven five of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And thank you as always for joining us on the podcast today. The deadline for trades in the NBA is coming up on Thursday afternoon, three p.m. Eastern time. There's been a lot of chatter about trade stuff in Hawksland in the last couple of weeks. Been a little bit quieter the last couple of days, but even uh, with that said, a lot of stuff heats up in the NBA in the last few hours before the deadline. In fact, there was a major trade this week already in the NBA with Karis LeVert heading to Cleveland. A lot is going to happen, uh, whether it be including the Hawks or not, in the next couple of days. And with that said, in between games, we're going to kind of talk about the deadline on this podcast. Uh, Lots of trade deadline um, rumblings for the last few weeks to sort of recap and also rehash players the Hawks have had interest in reportedly, as well as what I can add to those uh, rumblings as well. Also, the players that could be leaving the Hawks. Uh, A deep look at the salary cap situation for Atlanta and the luxury tax for the future, because that is a big domino to come in the coming days with the Hawks, and they have a lot of money committed to key guys in the future, so we'll talk about that as well, and a uh, lots to get to in terms of what's going kind of happen between now and Thursday. I posted this a little bit early. I was going to hold it until after the game on Tuesday into Wednesday, and then I realized stuff can happen as soon as possible, so this will pretty much keep, unless there's a trade um, for, the, for the most part on this podcast, but I'm posting this and recording it, Late into the evening on Monday, so keep that in mind, as you'll listen to this later on, that things could have changed, but probably not, and if they are changing, I'll definitely update that again as I talk about the Hawks' next game on the agenda, which, which by the way, will sort of wrap up the podcast today with talking about Hawks' Pacers on Tuesday, looking ahead to that game as well as where the Hawks are in the standings at this point in time. So a busy show coming uh, today, and we'll sort of dive in right now, and we're going to start with the all of the players that I can remember slash find that have been at least tangentially linked to the Hawks in the last few weeks about the deadline. Again, we'll have different segments on this podcast, so there's no headlines right now. There's, there's no chart, there's like no major new rumors. There are a couple names that are sort of being banded about more often than others, but we'll kind of go through some of the names here that the Hawks have been linked to and uh, give you a little bit of a rehash on these guys. Uh, first of all, Ben Simmons has been the biggest name attached to the Hawks uh, throughout the process. Um, Jake Fisher, though, a bleacher report on Monday, um, actually reported that there's been no potential package from the Hawks or Kings or any other team that has engaged Philadelphia, sets the and that has gener- generated significant traction and conversations, while the Sixers are holding out for someone on their wish list. End quote. This kind of tracks with what I've heard as well. The Hawks have been linked to Simmons. Uh, Sham Serrania reported again, uh, I believe it was last week, about uh, John Collins and McDonough in a deal for Simmons. It would take a lot to get him for sure. We talked about him ad nauseum, so I'm not going to do the whole thing again. It does seem like there's nothing close or even relatively close between the two sides. The Hawks could go crazy and offer the moon for Simmons out of desperation. That would definitely happen. Um, That's definitely, I would say, conceivable along the way here. But personally, I would not do that. There's definitely a price where I would deal for Simmons. I'm not saying otherwise. He's a very interesting player, particularly on defense, and his ability to unlock with some secondary ball handling on offense. But I think the right price is a little bit lower than what he's actually going to go for if he is traded and uh, Daryl Morey, the GM up in Philadelphia, is still asking for the moon by all accounts. So keep that all in mind. But Simmons, uh, it's, little, it's been a little bit quiet with the exception of Simmons and Brooklyn rumors, which would definitely been heating up in the last couple of days. But for the Hawks, nothing really new in the last week plus on that front. Another name that's been bandied about is Jeremy Grant of the Pistons. There was some buzz, especially when the Hawks were losing every game for a while. Uh, Zach Lowe recently reported, though, at ESPN that the Hawks were not in on Grant about, as of about a week ago. I've heard the same thing there. I thought they couldn't rekindle that conversation, but if it comes down to trading John Collins for Jeremy Grant, I would not do that, as I've discussed on on the podcast before. Um, Maybe there's a world in which the Hawks could give up Gallinari and other pieces for Jeremy Grant, but um, the big domino there is that Grant wants a big role, and he also wants a lot of money on an extension. Two things that I don't think the Hawks would be uh, necessarily in line to offer him if I was in charge of the Hawks. So there's still a price there as well where I would be interested in Jeremy Grant, but nothing that I can see uh, happening right now. It's been a little bit quiet on that front as well. Uh, Josh Hart, is not a huge name, but he's been banning about by Mike Scotto of Hoops Hype. I discussed that briefly last week on the podcast, actually. Hart would definitely help them on defense in particular. There's not a ton of buzz right now on that one. It's unclear what the Pelicans are looking to do. In fact, there's reporting that New Orleans is trying to buy still, which is a little bit curious to me, but Hart is on a weird contract with some non-guarantees, but he would definitely help the Hawks at the right price, uh, Derek White of the Spurs has been mentioned about as well for the Hawks as a potential target. About two weeks ago, Jake Fisher reported that the Hawks at least called the Spurs and talked about that um, at the time as well on the podcast Talk to figure out what it would cost for Derek White because he is certainly someone that is uh, difficult to gauge because the Spurs are so quiet and so reserved about like leaking anything or doing in-season deals. The Spurs are very buttoned up. They have some interesting players for sure between White and Devin Vassell and Kelton Johnson, etc., but they don't have a ton of uh, information out there with regard to Derek White. He fits a need in that he's a secondary ball handler um, and gives you the Hawks an option when Trey's on or off the floor. And he can play some defense as well, but his shooting is a question mark as well. He's a little bit older than you would think as well. He's 28 years old this summer. That's not like super duper old, but not a guy that you might think is as younger uh, than I think he actually is. And also three years uh, left on the deal, about 17 and a half, $18 million a year. Very similar to Bogdanovich in terms of salary structure, other than White goes one year longer. So if there was a deal for White, Bogey being the swap piece would make some sense, but that's just me speculating at this point in time. Um, Two new names, though, were actually reported uh, a little bit by Chris Kirscher of The Athletic on Monday. One of them is Marcus Smart, who really isn't a whole lot of... uh, it's It's not exactly a new target, let's just say. I've been getting questions about Marcus Smart for probably two-plus years at this point in time. There's been some spoken in the past about the Hawks talking to the Celtics about him. Boston's asking price has always been very high, but there's definitely been a a sea change in Boston. Brad Stevens is now the executive. Danny Ainge is no longer there, etc. He did sign a pretty big extension, though. Smart did. He used to be on a pretty cheap contract. But now he has a four-year extension that begins next season. Hasn't even started yet for Marcus Smart. He's under contract, though, uh, through 2026. That's a long time. Uh, 17.2 million dollars next year, going up to 21.3 million by the end. Not crazy money, but certainly you know high-end starter money for Marcus Smart. He's a great defender. Obviously, the Celtics have been much better with him on the floor this year than off as well. He's always been a very good, and I think still probably underrated player. But offensively, he's kind of a weird player. Um, he can he can dribble and provide some sec- secondary creation, some good decent passing as a secondary guard. Like if, if he's your lead guard, he's not a great passer by any means. But if, he, if he's your play, if he's playing like the two alongside Trey Young, he's uh, much better suited for that role in my mind Um, shooting wise definitely not consistent in the world Uh, obviously he is willing to shoot if you ever watch Marcus Smart play basketball but a a career low 30s three point shooter that's been uh, up and down let's just say along the way he would definitely help the Hawks right now the concern with Smart other than having having to pay a lot to get him in a trade is the deal that he's now on because he doesn't profile to me as a guy who's going to is going to gracefully age. I think once he becomes more of an average defender, it's going to be a hard drop off in value for Smart. It may not happen for a while, but by the end of that deal, I'll be surprised if he's worth $20 million a year. It's not impossible, but um, right now, you know, you could certainly argue that he might be the best piece on the board that we've even talked about. Obviously, Ben Simmons is a better player than Marcus Smart, but in terms of the other guys that we're discussing here, but even, even Jeremy Grant, I think Smart's a better fit for the Hawks than Jeremy Grant would be. I think he's better than Derek White. I think he's better than Josh Hart. I think he's better than the next guy that we're going to talk about in terms of fit with the Hawks, not a better player, but... I do think that the contract and asking price would be interesting there, but nothing super new about wanting Marcus Smart on the Hawks. He's always been a great theoretical fit, but we'll see if there's anything to that because it was reported by Kirshner that it was actually uh, some pretty interesting stuff there for the Hawks. Um, also, in terms of what it would take to get him, I think you almost have to include Bogdanovich for salary purposes, plus an asset or two beyond that. I don't think that boss is going to do a Bodanovich Smart swap one for one. Maybe, maybe bogey in a first, something like that. Maybe bogey in a first and then something else. I'm not sure what it would cost, but um, almost certainly has to include Bogdanovich, just given what he makes. I don't think a Gallinari for Smart swap makes a ton of stats, but then you just have so many buys on the perimeter. Um, But anyway, that's the salary matching for that, and Smart is a pretty interesting guy to discuss. Last thing before we get to a break here, and the last guy that the Hawks have been linked to, is CJ McCollum of the Blazers. Also reported by Kirchner as a name with interest from the Hawks. Nothing really beyond that in terms of specifics, but... Portland could be selling. In fact, they almost certainly are selling after their deal to send Robert Covington and Norm Powell to the Clippers. McCollum is a good player. That's the first thing to point out here. He's averaged 20 points a game for seven straight seasons. He's a very good offensive player. No question about that. Not a great, like, in terms of efficiency guy, but a good shooter, good ball handler, you some more creation. He'd be the best um, creator on the perimeter the Hawks have had other than Trey the entire time that Trey has been here. That is worth saying. Um, defensively, though, it would be not great. Uh, we've kind of seen the limitations of that McCollum Lillard backcourt defensively. Uh, Trey is similar in that regard. So, uh, if you were drawing up a partner for Trey Young defensively, it would not be McCollum by any means. Offensively, he would fit very well and make the Hawks better. But of course, the Hawks are already awesome on offense and pretty bad on defense. And McCollum would kind of exacerbate both of those things. And he'd be, uh, I think the Hawks probably become the best offense in the league if they had McCollum next to Trey Young, but also maybe uh, a bottom five defense more cemented with CJ in the lineup. He's also 30 years old and making a ton of money, um, 31 million this year almost, and then two more years for 33 and a half million on average after this season. And given that he's already 30, you know that value contract. I would probably argue that CJ is overpaid right now. That doesn't mean he's bad because he's probably still a 25 million dollar player, but he's making you know 30 plus million. So there's a small sort of uh, breakdown there in terms of value, but I think he is a good player. I just don't think the fit is fantastic. But if you're looking for the only only on the offensive side, he would definitely help them a lot. It's just a lot of money. And far as far as like making the money work, by the way, before anybody asked me that question, I actually got a couple of those questions today after the Kirchner piece dropped on Monday. Um, they either have to include Collins, which I would definitely not do. I would not trade Collins in a McCollum trade. Uh, flat out, wouldn't do it. I think Collins is a better player than McCollum at this point in time. I might not be the only one. I might not be like the consensus on that, but I think that Collins is better. To be honest with you, and on a better contract, cheaper, etc. If you remove Collins from that, it has to be Bogdanovich and more or Gallinari and more to make the salary work with with CJ. And again, I think if you're getting CJ, you kind of have to trade Bogdanovich just because of the uh, functional roles that would kind of have to be around there. Um, Again, I have a hard time seeing a fair value trade for Portland that also that I like for the Hawks because of the fit issues. There's definitely a point where I would buy on CJ, but I think given the market I would be surprised if the Hawks were that team. Uh, we'll talk about that if it happens, if there's a, a more serious rumor between now and then. We'll sort of evaluate it on what that might be. But I think it would have to be bogey plus, and uh, we'll see if that works for the Hawks. But another name to keep an eye on that's uh, kind of new uh, as the final week of the deadline preparation begins. All right, before we get to some names that are actually been uh, on the Hawks roster that are up for debate and up for potential consideration for trades, and much more on this episode, a were from our sponsors, and the first of which is TurboTax. People think that unusual circumstances mean complicated taxes, but for TurboTax Live experts, that is what makes things interesting. We all have unique lives, whether you're invested in crypto for the first time this year, or if you own an up-and-coming small business, or if you're raising rambunctious twins. Luckily, TurboTax Live has experts who can answer all of your tax questions, walk you through the entire process, or do your taxes for you from start to finish. They help you get every deduction that you deserve, no matter your unique situation, and you can talk to a TurboTax Live expert through your phone or your computer without leaving your house. TurboTax Live Experts are always here to help you however you need, and if you need an extra hand, hand your taxes off to them, and they'll do the entire thing for you. For TurboTax Live Experts, interesting life could mean even greater refund, visit TurboTax.com to learn more. You do your thing, they've got your taxes, Intuit it TurboTax Live. All right, so before the break, we got into all the players that at least that I have seen publicly reported as having some interest from the Hawks. And now we get into the guys on the Hawks roster that have been at least courted from the outside in public reporting. Uh, The first guy and the most prominent guy by a wide margin is John Collins, who a lot of teams have been interested in for a long time. That speaks for itself. He's very good at basketball. I think he's the top 40-ish player in the league on a good contract for a long time, and he's pretty young, so he has big trade value. Nothing uh, to be surprised by there. And honestly, nothing with Collins right now rises to the level of a rumor. I have said for a while that... I believe and I believe in terms of like my own background and also what's been reported out there publicly that if Collins is traded it's going to be for a big fish of some kind. I would be surprised. Not I would not fall over and die. I would not be, you know, utterly stunned, but I'd be surprised if the Hawks traded him for a package of pieces from another team because of where the Hawks are in their cycle and also how good he actually is. So That's where we are in Collins. Nothing new on that front. And, uh, you know, Simmons has been the guy he's been most prominently linked to. But uh, And I kind of think that's probably the most likely scenario if the Hawks were to do that. But it's it's been pretty quiet there. So if I had to guess, he won't be traded at this point in time, uh, at least as of Monday evening, February 7th, as I record this. So elsewhere from there, Mike Scotto reported that the Raptors had some interest in Dillon Gallinari. Uh, No indication just yet about how serious those talks might be with Gallo and the Raptors. If you look at Toronto's cap sheet, The only way it makes really any sense would be a swap for Goran Dragic, who's actually about, he's making about a million less than Gallinari, but that that one-for-one swap does work under the cap. Dragic has been away from the team for a while. He actually only only played in five games this year for the Raptors. When he was in Miami, he was still playing well, and he's a pretty interesting piece. Um, I'm not sure who has more value in the market. I would probably guess Gallo, because Dragic has not been playing he's 35 years old. So if I am the Hawks, I would not just trade Gallo for Dragic. I think I'd, I'd definitely be asking for something else in addition to Dragic, but that'd be the only way that I could see that deal working at the moment would be sort of a Dragic for Gallinari swap plus a sweetener from Toronto's side. Um, I'm sure Gallo would, I, I know he would help their offense a lot. Toronto's offense is kind of weird. They play this uh, interesting style, but without going too far into that, um, that was reported uh, last week. So Gallinari is, has at least one suitor. He, of course, has an interesting contract, which, which we'll cover more in the last segment, uh, last segment of the show today. But it's non-guaranteed for next year. So always been a popular trade target. And Gallinari could be interesting for a lot of different teams. But uh, Toronto's the only team that I've seen that with public interest in him recently. Um, Brian Winhorst of ESPN reported that the Pelicans have at least inquired about Kevin Herter. Uh, I'm sure that actually happened because Herder is on a good contract. And he's a good player, but he's also poison-pilled. What that means is that he signed the extension last year, so he counts for a different amount in a trade going in and then coming... uh, Sorry, going out and then coming in. Um, That doesn't make it impossible to trade him. It makes it difficult to trade him. Uh, And also, the Hawks just invested in him. He's been their best wing this season. I continue to say that because it's true in the numbers and on the court. He's been a solid two-way piece for them. Is he going to be a star? No, he's not going to be a star. But I think Herder's going to be a starter-level player for a long time. He's on a good. He's on a good contract. He's still very young. Good character guy. All that stuff. Like up and down the roster. There's no, there's no concerns with Kevin Herter. So uh, I doubt the Hawks will trade him. But at least he got a call. And when Wendy speaks, it gets aggregated. So that's what happened there. And then lastly. Bogdanovich is very clearly available for the Hawks. He's been in a lot of different rumors between the Ben Simmons stuff alongside Collins. He's been, uh, you know, he's the guy that they probably have to trade in a Marcus Smart trade. I think Bogey is interesting in that he does have a couple years left on the contract, uh, only one of which by the way is guaranteed. It's a player option for year 4. Obviously that's he can pick it up whatever he wants to, but if he's playing well, he'll probably decline that. If he's not playing well, he'll pick it up. That makes it a little bit less valuable for the team side, but Bogdanovich is a Weird case in that last year he was tremendous in the second half of the season. This year he's been well below that level in terms of both his health and productivity. So we'll see where the market actually lands on him. It would not surprise me if they moved him, um, to be honest with you, but also it's difficult to find that kind of trade. You know, it's always popular for the Hawks, uh, sorry, for Hawks fans to kind of point out that, look, they need need one more defender on the perimeter. And I actually agree with you on that. But just turning him into that, like trading McDonough for Josh Hart might make the Hawks better. It actually might have, might have that effect, but I'm not sure they're going to do that just for a value standpoint, all that fun stuff. So we'll see, but I think that he is available. You know, beyond that, like down the roster, you can know, look at all the different players. Like DeLon Wright could be a, a, a sort of a filler sweetener, but the Hawks do kind of need DeLon Wright for back-of-point guard stuff and defense stuff in the backcourt. He's been a good role player for them this year. Lou Williams can block any trade. So I think if they try to trade him, he'd probably either say yes and retire or just say no and stick around. Um, So that's something to keep an eye on. He makes $5 million, but um, alas, Kevin Knox cannot be traded with anybody else. He can be traded, but just not aggregated along because of the deal with the Knicks. So if you want to trade Knox plus something else for a cheaper asset, they could do that, but they can't package Knox with anything else. Gorgie Jane can be traded, sort of as an interesting um, salary filler kind of guy at $4 million. He, of course, got a little bit more money on the market because of the Hawks' limited role that he was offered. Uh, Jalen Johnson has a couple of million left on his contract for this season. With that said, he's obviously a first-round pick from this year that they think a lot of in the future. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like all of the pieces. TLC is basically on the minimum, so he'd be more of a, more of a throw-in roster spot kind of guy. And that's kind of all of the pieces. Capella can't be traded. Again, I've said this a number of times, but Capella cannot be traded. And I'd be pretty surprised if Hunter or Akangwu got dealt if in any, anything other than like a big deal for a superstar that I just can't see coming right now. Um, basically, Simmons is the only star-level player that I think is available, and I don't think the Hawks will be trading either of those guys. Maybe Hunter will have to be in a deal for Simmons. We'll see. But um, I'd be surprised. In fact... In terms of, you know, Trey will not be traded before the deadline, Capella cannot be traded before the deadline, and then from there, I think number three and number four on that list in some order in terms of least likely to be traded is Hunter and Akonwu in some order. I don't know which, I don't know what the order would be on those two guys, but it's those two guys, and then you get into Collins and Herder next, and then on down from there. So, hopefully that's a good sort of primer for the roster and what's shaking out in that way. Um, before we get into the cat situation, and by the way, there is a lot on the cap situation, um, I got a question from David in the mailbag and the question basically was mirrored by a lot of different people, but it's, it's basically, unless it's like a roster spot kind of deal or a doing a favor kind of trade like Travis does often, will the Hawks make another, another deadline deal, um, before Thursday? And I'm recording this again on Monday night. There's a long time before the deadlines. So keep in mind as I say this, but at this very moment, I would say no, if you made me choose. Now my confidence level on that is not over the moon. I think that the Hawks could make a trade and I would not be surprised whatsoever i think two weeks ago i would have been a little bit higher and i've said this before but in my mind the one thing the hawks were very likely to do before this deadline was trade cam reddish i thought that for a long time and then they did that so if you think about that it wasn't a deadline move because it was a month ago but really that was kind of a deadline move like if the hawks had a trade to make they just kind of made it a little bit early now they could still make a trade between now and thursday Um, they've been of course losing the last last three out of uh, the last four games that doesn't like help them in terms of their optimism level I wouldn't imagine but trades are difficult they just are I don't there's a reason why I don't always do a lot of fake trades on this podcast Uh, I kind of wait for there to be an actual piece of reporting or rumor to discuss trade stuff because it is just so hard to put together trades that work for all sides that are actually realistic without Intel it's just very difficult to do so all that said I would guess they don't I think it's definitely not like 90-10 90-10 that they don't it's moral it's more it's probably like a 30-70 something like that 40-60 kind of thing um in my mind and again that's kind of arbitrary on some level but to answer the question people were asking that a lot in the last couple of days i still lean no just because of where the hawks are the fact that they still want to win this year they're st- they're definitely still in win now mode to some extent also the cap stuff that we'll get into in a second after the break and just the reality of difficulty that is uh, the trade market and kind of where the hawks are right now so famous last words i'm not gonna how my chest this is not me saying for sure the Hawks are not gonna, not gonna make trades so do not do not say that that I said that I'm just answering the question and I'm just saying if I had to guess right now yes or no on what I would just, what I would consider to be a major trade and by the way a major trade for me is someone in the rotation being traded or coming in to be in a rotation like if they trade TLC I'm not gonna count that in terms of major trade but if they go out and add a piece That's going to be in a rotation for the deadline put for the sorry for the playoff push, or if they go out and trade someone that's in the rotation right now, that qualifies. So all that said, I would lean no and we'll leave it there for now. All right, before we get to the cap stuff and they look ahead to Hawks Pacers for Tuesday night, a word from our sponsors on the show today. And the first of which is Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, more odds, and more lines than ever before as football continues its march to the playoffs right to the big game in a couple of weeks. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, your podcasts, and your news this season. And it's not just football. BetOnline has ultimate info on pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, tennis, golf, auto racing, and much more in addition to live real-time updates of current games. Do not wait to take advantage of this amazing offer and everything that's going on at BetOnline.net this season in 2022. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, and we'll go to the salary cap sheet now for the Hawks. I'll say this. This stuff matters. Um, it's not always the most fun to discuss. and I know some non-diehards will just kind of tune out at this point. I do understand that. But the money stuff does matter, and that's been very evident across the league. Like, You don't have to look any further than the Portland trade this week, where they basically only made a money deal in getting off of Robert Covington and Norman Powell. It matters. Um, how much it matters is always up for debate, but that's why I'm talking about this stuff right now. It definitely matters a little bit. Um, and to the stage a little bit here, on Friday of last week, Shams reported that the NBA issued a new salary cap and luxury tax projection to the teams for next season, and the projected cap, again, it's not official, but the projected cap is $121 million for next year, and $147 million is a luxury tax projection. Right now, today, the Hawks have about $130 million in guaranteed, I want to stress that, guaranteed salary for next season. So that's already above the cap projection. That includes only eight players under contract. That also includes five million dollars for Gallinari because that's his guaranteed number. But that'd be if they had to cut him. It's five million dollars. It goes up to twenty plus if they keep him, and that obviously raises the one the one thirty number up. That also includes the lower number for Trey Young of thirty point two five million dollars. That is the salary if he does not make All NBA this season. If he does make All-NBA, and I think he will, honestly. I'm not going to tell you that's definitely going to happen, but if I had to guess right now, I think he will. Probably, you know, maybe second or 13. but I think he's going to make it. Um, If that happens, that number jumps to $36.3 million. So if Trey makes All-NBA, he makes $6 million more next year, which means $6 million more on the Hawks cap sheet. And they won't know that until way after the deadline, obviously. So all that said... The 130, $130 million dollar projection does not include first round picks either. The Hawks might have two; they definitely have their own right now. Those guys cost money. They don't cost a ton, but it's two or three million dollars that is guaranteed on your books that you have to account for, unless you trade those picks away. So, you know, it's obviously good to have picks, by the way. But they uh, and those salaries are pretty cheap, but they're more than the minimum. So keep that in mind as well. And from there, again. The Hawks are $9 million above the salary cap with eight guys on the roster. That's only half the roster. They have to fill seven more spots. And that projection does not include anything for guys like DeLon Wright, who's in the rotation right now. Lou Williams in the rotation right now. Nothing for Kevin Knox. Nothing for TLC. Gorgie Jang, who's been their third center and is making real money this year, etc. So I'll give you a couple more scenarios here. But just to say that, you know, any notion of cap space, I always hear that thrown around by some fans. Um, I'm not picking on you, but the Hawks are not going to have cap space next year, unless the Hawks do some drastic things to clear cap space, and they're going to have to be very active in doing so. So I know the Hawks had cap space for a long time, and it was kind of the norm. But moving forward, this is not going to be a team that has cap space. It's going to be a team that has the mid-level exception and stuff like that, but they're not going to be a cap space team for a while unless they make some serious, serious changes. So I want to just say this. The Hawks also could pay the luxury tax next year. They could. Tony Wrestler has said all the right things. He said before that they'll pay whatever they have to pay to make a winner in Atlanta. And if the Hawks were 35 and 20 right now, I might be a little bit different on this. But I am skeptical that the Hawks are going to be paying the tax next year. I'm also even more skeptical. In fact, I'm very confident they won't do this. I can't imagine, because this is an escalating tax, I can't imagine the Hawks going deep into the tax next year. If they sort of, sort of inch over the line, it wouldn't stun me, but if they go like they're not going to go where the Nets are or the Clippers are in, this, in the tax, I'd be floored by that. By based on all intel that I have, and again, it might be different if the Hawks make a run to the finals, but they're not doing that right now. They're kind of struggling. So even last year, granted it was a, the COVID weirdness, but they didn't have full buildings till the end of the year. Even with that deep playoff run, they didn't kind of make the same money that they normally would from that kind of thing. So uh, I'm going to use the tax as a threshold of sorts. That's not me saying that the Hawks will never cross it or that they definitely won't cross it, but I think it matters. In particular, this year, they're not coming over. I said that before before last offseason. I was very confident about that, and Hawks fans kind of got mad at me, and the Hawks did not go over the tax, and they're not going to go over the tax. It's not happening for this year. Now, next year, it's going to be hard to stay out of it, to be honest with you, but uh, keep that all in mind. I want to give you that, that um, sort of backdrop of this conversation. So I mentioned the Trey salary before, but again, It's very cut and dry. It's a good problem for the Hawks, obviously, because he's awesome and making all NBA means that he would be happy and get more money, all that stuff. But it's kind of weird because it is unquestionably better for the team in terms of money stuff if he doesn't make it, which is bizarre, but it's true. Uh, $6 million is not nothing. Um, so let's just say for scenario's sake, if he makes all NBA this year, the Hawks go up to $136 million in guaranteed salary with eight players on the roster. That's $11 million short of the tax. $11 million with seven roster spots and no Gallinari on the team. So basically, at that point, you're filling it out with rookie minimums or you're going into the tax, basically. Then, if they kept Gallinari and Trey made all NBA, which Gallinari, I will say, I'd be surprised if he's playing on his full deal, which is about $21 million for next year. But let's just say, for for just a thought exercise, if, if Trey makes all NBA and Gallinari is on his contract for next year of $21 million, which means he's still on the team, the Hawks have nine players on the roster and they would be at more than $152 million in guaranteed salary. That is $5 million over the tax line with nine players on the team. So, uh, it's just kind of striking to kind of point that out there. Like if all that happens, which is very conceivable, the Hawks would be well over the tax before anything else. Now they can get out of it if they want to. Like that's something that has to be said. Like they can make cost-saving trades. In fact, if Trey makes All-NBA and they don't do well this year, et cetera, in the playoffs or not even make the playoffs, that's definitely on the table as well, they could you know, be kind of proactive to get out of the tax. Like We've seen teams do that in the middle of the season. We've seen the teams do that in the offseason. Portland just did it in the middle of the season. Boston's going to do it in the third season as well, it looks like. So there's some creativity. They don't have to be under the tax when the season starts. But it's definitely interesting to me that they have all these issues already, um, there are some guys that can be moved in the offseason. Like Capella could be moved pretty easily. I think he's still a very positive contract on on the books. Bogdanovich could be moved as well, given the presence of Herder. Collins could be moved very easily if they wanted to do that, etc. But, like, let's just say this. I've mentioned this before, but if they wanted to use Gallinari this year, plus a pick or two, to get, like, a good player. Think about, like, Harrison Barnes or Jeremy Grant or somebody like that. A $20 million player that has a multi-year contract. They can do that. Pretty easily this year, if they wanted to. But that would lock in another guy making 20 plus twenty plus million a year, and that basically puts you where I was just talking about. Like, if they were to trade, let's just say Gallinari for Jeremy Grant, straight up, with picks obviously attached. That puts the Hawks into the tax for next year, on its own, with nine players. So, that matters. I promise you it does. A mailbag question, by the way, from Eli along the way here, um, comes, um, it basically talks about How much could, I guess the question is basically that I've been talking about the tax stuff for the Hawks. How much does that change if they trade Capella in the offseason to make way for a Kongu to start? I did mention that Capella earlier is an option as a potential pathway to get out of the tax. But, you know, because he's the guy that I'm always asked about, it's worth noting, like, I'd be surprised if him and a Kongu were still on the team in two years. I kind of said that before. And I think the Hawks would be worse without Capella on the team. That's worth considering as well. You know, I think he's still a good player. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole so much on this podcast today, but um, I do think that it's pretty reasonable to expect a deal for one of the two at some point. I think it'll be Capella most likely, but they could trade a Kongwu as part of a big star package, as I talked about earlier with Ben Simmons. But I think that the Hawks could trade Capella. But here's the thing there isn't a ton of cap space available this offseason. So if your plan, quote unquote, is to trade Capella and try to take no salary back, that's difficult to do. I think Capella is a good contract that they could easily move, but they're take in, you're taking salary back in that trade. You're probably not going to trade him for just nothing in the cap space. So keep that in mind as well. It's not like a get-out-of-jail-free card to clear your cap sheet. So hopefully that's a decent like sort of primer for how the cap and the tax are projecting for the Hawks. Again, I'll be surprised if Tony Wrestler greenlights a pretty significant tax bill for next season, particularly if the Hawks fall short this year as they currently are. I've still been pretty high on Atlanta compared to the consensus. I think they're still going to make the playoffs, but it's not a guarantee by any means. And if they don't have playoff revenue, that's even less likely that they're going to put that kind of money into the team for next season, particularly without a huge huge thing. It's not a fun topic. I know that. And honestly, I kind of wish that Tony Ressler had the willingness to spend that Steve Ballmer does. Like the Clippers just made this, this trade that's absolutely insane for their money purposes, but Ballmer is so rich. It doesn't care. And that's not the reality for most teams. And I don't think it's the reality for the Hawks. So, all that said, it does impact the roster building right now situation, so I will talk about that again after the deadline if something happens. And in the offseason, I always do a, uh, a pretty thorough job of trying to get you guys ready for the money stuff that will matter. And, you know, again, I mentioned no cap space. The Hawks, if they are not way over the tax, will have them mid-level exception to add to their team if they want to. If they could maybe get under the ca- under the cap, but um, I'm gonna guess with 95% certainty that the Hawks will operate over the cap, and that means uh, trying to re-sign your own guys and or uh, making trades and or using the mid-level exception to improve your team. Okay, last thing before we get out of here, a quick look at the standings. Obviously, the Hawks are struggling right now. In fact, the projections have been, I tweeted out all of the numbers earlier today on Monday, but now the only public model that has the Hawks above 500 this year is the Raptor model for 538. Um, basically every model has the Hawks missing the playoffs more often than not over the 538. So it's been a little bit ugly recently. Um, I will say the schedule is favorable this week uh, with two games that are winnable. We'll talk, we'll talk about one of them at the end of the podcast, but the pecking order is a little bit dicey. I will say this Brooklyn has lost eight straight games without Kevin Durant. So they're at least opening the door a little bit for the uh, Hawks or somebody else to run through as a top six team but the Hawks have to win as well. That's definitely the case. There's still a pull battle to be out of, out of the play-in. And in, in the play-in, there's no guarantees whatsoever. Uh, one quick stat, though, that I wanted to pass along to you. I know I'm going long, but my apologies on that. Um, I tweeted this out today, but it's really worth um, kind of examining, especially because it inform, it sort of informs trade stuff because it involves John Collins. But when the Hawks' three best players, Trey Young, John Collins, and Clint Capella, I know Hawks fans don't all agree that Capella's one of the three best players, but every single stat will tell you that he is. Uh, he's still a top 50 guy in the league, in my mind. Keep that in mind. But I think objectively, Capella is one of the three best players. But anyway, when those three guys are on the court together this season, the Hawks have a plus 7.9 net rating. That is basically top two or three in the league quality when their best players are playing. And for a team that is below 500, that's pretty darn stark. So basically, when those guys are on the court, the Hawks are good, flat out. They're even better when you take into account the cleaning the glass filters and cleaning the glass is a great service, but it basically removes garbage time and it removes like end of quarter, end of half heaves and stuff like that. The Hawks are actually plus 8.9 per possessions with young Capella and Collins on the court. So basically what that tells you is when they're out there, the Hawks are good. And when they're not, the Hawks are not very good. And the supporting cast has been really the problem this year, much more than the starters. Now I've said a lot on this podcast, if if you're a faithful listener, you will know but I've gone through the roster this year a few different times along the way and just kind of said, look, player for player, there are not many guys playing as well as they could play. And I think Young and Collins are pretty much the short list of guys who, could, who are playing up to their potential this season or always close to it. I think Kevin Herter is pretty close to that list as well. I think even Capella, who I've defended and I think is still very good, is not playing at the same level he did last year. I think he's still playing well. I think he's still a positive asset. Then I mean, you go down the list, like Badanovich for the full season has been below expectations. DeAndre Hunter, when you factor in his performance and the injuries, has been below expectations this year. Gallinari has been better lately, but for, for the full season, below below the marks, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So I think that's just Stark and wanted to point that out because people always, you know, want to pick on so and so player, but really when the Hawks have their three guys, their anchor guys that are not you know, sort of rotational pieces. There are three guys who were the best players last year, best players this year. Uh, when they play, they're good. So that's that's worth noting, just kind of putting in the back of your head for the future. Um, and again, like, a couple of example here, like, the biggest example is Cam Reddish, who's not on the team anymore, of, like, when the team just created when he played. But Donovich's defense has been a problem this year, for instance. Hunter's advance numbers are really bad when you compare him to other guys this year as well. So I can go all day on that, and I won't do it now. But uh, keep that in mind when you're trying to advocate for trades or whatever, even for the offseason. Like, their core pieces, those three guys in terms of, like, their... And for me, the core... Like, the core for the future and the core for the present are different. That's also worth pointing out. Like, the core for the present, I think, is their three guys. The core for the future, quite obviously, includes Hunter, includes Okonwu, etc. So, anyway, we're down the rabbit hole now. But, last thing on the podcast today, I know I've gone too long on a solo show, but the Hawks do play at home on Tuesday against the Pacers... Indiana is not very good. They're 19-36 this year. They've lost the last three games in a row and seven out of the last nine. They are better than their record in terms of their stat profile, but this is not a very good basketball team. They just traded Lavert to the Cavs, etc. They're okay on offense, like middle of the road, and defensively, they are very bad this year. They are good on the offensive glass. That's something to keep an eye on is that the Hawks can box out and rebound in this game, but uh, defensively, it's kind of a mess for Indiana, particularly without Miles Turner, who's not going to play in this game, so the, uh, the door's open for the Hawks to get back on track on offense after a shaky performance, to say the least, in Dallas. Uh, injury-wise for the Hawks, John Collins is probable with the right-heel discomfort. Gallinari is questionable with the right hamstring tightness. Lou Williams is doubtful to play with the left hamstring tension that missed him as, a, as a of the game on Sunday. Obviously, you know, probable and doubtful in the NBA. There's a study, actually, that was done recently. I think it was Kevin Pelton, something like that, where the probable the probable listing is like 85 90%. The doubtful listing is like 15% or lower. So uh, it's not for, it's not a foregone conclusion, but obviously you would expect Collins to play and Lou not to play based on those listings. Um, as of now, our friends at Ben Online do not have a lineup for this game, in part because Malcolm Brogdon is listed as questionable for Indiana. He's not played since January 19th, and he is their best guard by a wide margin. So that's a pretty big swing, which explains why the line the is not available right now at Ben Online. But I'll say this. The Hawks will be comfortable favorites unless something crazy happens with like a, like a tray in, a tray injury something like that. The Hawks are going to be favored at home against Indiana, and nothing's a must win, but this is a game the Hawks need to win. Let's just say that um, after the, after losing three out of the last four games, you come home and play a Pacers team that is scuffling right now uh, on on regular rest. This is a game the Hawks need to win. That goes without saying in my mind. And then after that, they have the Spurs on Friday with two days rest and no travel in between. That's another game where the Hawks will be solid favorites and should win. So we'll cover about we'll cover all of that on the show. As a programming note, we will have our usual podcast after the game on Tuesday and uh, on that show I will break down any rumors that have transpired in the last 24 hours. But here's the thing about that. The timing is a little bit strange because the deadline is 3 o'clock on Thursday and normally the post-game podcast for Tuesday into Wednesday won't post until midnight or later. So I'm not definitely going to have a show on Wednesday, which is why I'm going a little bit long on this show and giving them more time to breathe about about the deadline. If there's a major rumor or if there is a Major trade, obviously, on Wednesday I will break in with an emergency podcast, as I always would. But there is a chance that tomorrow night after the game is the last show until the deadline. That We'll sort of do a deadline recap, but I will definitely update you again on that show. And uh, the best way to find out if we have a new podcast is to subscribe to the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google Podcasts. All kinds of places you can find podcasts, and if we if we're not on that platform that you enjoy, let us know that. I will try to get it fixed to the best of my ability. Also, please subscribe. Uh, you know, I guess we'll have a YouTube channel pretty soon. That's a little breaking news that's coming up in the near future. And tell your friends, leave five star ratings, um, reviews, all that fun stuff. Subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe. Get creative. Follow us on Twitter as well at Locked On Hawks. Follow me on Twitter if you would like to at BT Roland. I do appreciate everybody listening to the show. I know there's a lot of information in one place on this podcast, but I purposely did that to give you one place to check out to kind of get caught up on the trade stuff before Thursday. But uh, we'll all be holding our breath between now and Thursday at 3 p.m. Thank you for listening, as always, everybody, and we'll see you next time.